on uh, indicating now that uh, they're switching from their focus on boosting growth and employment to fighting inflation. Um, and Federal Chairman Jerome Powell saying now dropping this transitory word, saying it's persistent inflation. What does that mean for the economy and the markets? Well, I think Powell was more assertive in his comments than he has been in relation to inflation. Uh, and you're right, he, he wants to drop the word transitory um, and the definition of that. The market probably had already expected it, to be honest, um, uh, probably waiting for Powell to fess up a little bit more on inflation um, because the uh, market's been reading uh, those figures and we're likely in the next couple of weeks to see high inflation numbers continue. Um, the question has always been about how much of an impact has been driven purely by supply chain disruption. And to some extent, there's a reasonable argument there. You know, I, I was reading a stat that 50, more than 50% of all shipping was delayed uh, last year, this year, in terms of its arrival. So you can imagine the multiplier effect in terms of impact on um, uh, on input components and output um, on the price side. So there is some argument to suggest it's, uh, there is, uh, it's likely to, to come back, but um, the suggestion now is from at least the Fed to recognise that inflation is sticking and that they will need to act a little bit more aggressively by hiking rates probably earlier in 2022 than they had previously expected. The market is OK with it, I think. The market was fairly well priced for that expectation. Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Society General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, let's take a final look at the markets for this week. In Australia, the ASX 200 up a quarter of a percent. Uh, stocks in Japan turning around now. They're up 0.1% in the Nikkei 225. Uh, the Kospi in South Korea is down about a quarter of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open uh, about 80 points lower in just under an hour's time. Uh, Brent crude oil trading at $70.39 a barrel. Gold is at $1,750 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do please stay tuned uh, for Back Chat with Janice Wong and Andrew Work in just a moment. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday at 8 o'clock for more Money Talk. The weather forecast, fine and dry, cool in the morning, maximum temperature around 21 degrees and then the outlook is for it to stay cool in the mornings in the next few days. And the temperature right now, 16 degrees. It's 41% relative humidity. There is a red fire danger warning in force. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour news. The United States has reinstated a controversial migration policy that orders asylum seekers to return to Mexico while they wait for their applications to be processed. The program was introduced by the former president, Donald Trump, and criticized by the Biden administration, which revoked it earlier this year. The BBC's Will Grant has this report. The return of the Trump-era policy was always coming after the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the lower court's decision that the Biden administration reinstate the law following challenges by Texas and Missouri. The judge had recognised that implementation would be impossible without Mexico, but following a number of concessions, the Mexican government has now agreed to the plan. Among them was a U.S.-Mexico development program for Central America called Planting Opportunities, intended to discourage migration north by strengthening development in the countries of origin. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki said President Biden will continue fighting to scrap the policy. The German government has announced that COVID vaccinations would become compulsory next year. Outgoing Chancellor Angela Merkel said she was in favor of the measure, which MPs will vote on in February. Mrs. Merkel also revealed sweeping new restrictions on people who haven't been vaccinated. They won't be allowed in restaurants, cinemas, leisure facilities and many non-essential shops. 
Olaf Scholz, who's due to take over as chancellor next week, said the restrictions were necessary. We are in a very, very difficult situation. Everyone knows it's linked to the fact that we have many citizens vaccinated, but not enough to make sure we don't get a new wave of infections. So it's clear what we have to do first. We have to get those who are unvaccinated, vaccinated. And that's my personal appeal, that we convince them to take that step. The U.S., Canada, Britain and the European Union have announced additional sanctions against Belarus. The measures target Belarusian officials and organizations, blaming them for human rights abuses and enabling the smuggling of migrants. The White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki announced the sanctions at a news briefing. This is the fifth time the United States has imposed sanctions on Belarus since August of 2020, and the third joint action with the European Union, the United Kingdom and Canada this year alone. It reflects our united determination to act in the face of the increased repression, including the detention of nearly 900 political prisoners, and in response to the Lukashenko regime's callous exploitation of vulnerable migrants from other countries and the regime's orchestration of migrant smuggling into the European Union. Belarus has promised to retaliate against the new wave of sanctions. The foreign ministry in Minsk called the measures absurd. You've been listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Janice. Today we're talking about the government's new health code system and love scams. The government has unveiled details of how its health code system will work. It's designed to enable those who are deemed to be at low risk of having COVID-19 to enjoy quarantine-free travel to the mainland. Those interested can apply for a code from next Friday to familiarize themselves with the process. They'll have to register their personal details and upload their visit records from the Leave Home Safe app. The authorities will then use this information to determine your level of risk, giving applicants either a green, yellow or red code. Only the greens will be allowed to cross the border once it's reopened. The government says there are no current plans to use this new health code here in Hong Kong, and that only people who want quarantine-free travel to the mainland need to apply. Meanwhile, with the Leave Home Safe app becoming mandatory at more premises from next Thursday, officials also said they are liaising with telecom firms and charity groups to give free mobile phones and telephone cards to people in need. What do you think? Do you have any concerns or questions about the health code system? From 9.15 a.m., we're talking about love scams. Has Hong Kong recorded an 80% surge in such cases over the first 10 months of this year? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or how about give us a call on 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Ricky Ju, the chairman of the Equal Opportunities Commission, and Professor Wong Kam Fai, the director of the Center for Innovation and Technology at the Chinese University. Good morning to the both of you. Hi, Hi morning, Hi, I'm Hi. Professor Wong. And uh, thank you for joining us on the program. Um, let's start with you, Professor Wong. Uh, can you yeah. first can you first explain how this health code works? Oh, well, you, you explained it already very clearly. I mean, it's just the transfer. Well, you are uh, because the actually in, China, in the mainland they have been running a health code system 
uh, for some years exactly the same way that just you, you, that you have described well, with uh, with uh, red, amber, and green colors, and exactly the same the same way. Uh, that that you just mentioned. So, so the health code is not a separate app, is it? Uh, what what is a separate app? It, 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 it is. We are trying to do do something uh, similar to uh, the mainland way of doing the thing. Remember that what we're trying to achieve is that we have to convince. Uh, we have to. We want to get access over the border. We want to get in, and therefore we're trying to do something that can actually. Uh, Coincide with their work, or compatible with their with their with the way of handling uh, uh, the COVID nineteen prevention. So uh, that's why that we have uh, the, that system. But the only difference is that um, what we do now is that we are we are actually piggyback on our existing system, uh, which is the leave home easy. Uh, but the leave home easy, uh, the way that we collect cases. Or, or, or traveling records uh, is different from the mainland. Over the mainland, what they do is what, 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 we, what we said is automatic tracking. You know, once you're registered with that code and then uh, through, the, through the mobile uh, phone signal, mobile phone system, they will track what your whereabouts. But in our case, it's voluntary. It's up to uh, our citizens or the users to actually report each cases, for example, when you go to restaurants, when you go to cinema house. So uh, uh, that's the main difference. The collection of data are different, but once you collected the data, uh, when you uh, send it to the system, the way that they report the case, red, amber, or green, are the same. It's the same. Right, and, and how does the thing actually work i mean because it's it's you know you've heard these horror stories about people being code red and they can't take a bus they can't go anywhere um and and they're not sick they're perfectly fine but it's really hard to get it done i mean like is it an algorithm that determines whether you're red green it's not or about yellow an algorithm. It's, 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 it's actually it's actually uh well you have your record you kept, you, you know where, where you have been before just like what we do with the uh, qr code in the restaurants and then uh, a few days later if there was a case reported that during the time that you were there, there was a high-risk person was there at the same period of time that, like you were, then they will notify you, just like what we are doing now. They will just send a, send a list to you and said that uh, that those those places have been has been affected, has been contaminated, and with that information, you will match. With the with the the set of data that you have on your on your own uh, phone, mm. and then if there were a match, then that means that you are you you you've been affected. So uh, this is what how it works currently. Yeah, and, and, and how, how big and is the radius? On, on your phone. But what we're trying to do now is put that whole whole operation onto the system, which is like a centralized system, and the whole checking part will be done by the government or done by the system rather than uh, done by the, uh, the, the, the phone itself. So, right. So the right. green QR code uh, will mean that we, we can uh, cross the border. Does that mean that uh, once we've crossed the border, uh, cross the border, we have to download the mainland's version of the no, health no, no, code no, no, app? No, 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 not at this stage. Not at this stage. The, the, idea, uh, uh, the idea is just that it's like a visa. Before I go, I apply a visa. And then if you get a, if you get a green light, you can go. If you get a red light, uh, they won't let you in.
What happens if you're on the other side of the border and your status changes? Well, uh, then everything will start all over again. All your records, well, your, your Hong Kong record will not be registered over there. But this is, it is true that uh, if you want to travel over in Guangdong or anywhere else in China, you need to have the local health code. And what happened would be that the red, uh, the, the green, the green Hong Kong code would only allow you access to the uh, uh, across the border. Once you cross the border, then you, you will be given another code, this which is the Guangdong health code, okay. and which, which is separate. And also, why the need for three colors when only the green color means we can cross the border? Why, why the need for red oh, or yellow? Because you have to be compatible with their system. Yeah. Yeah, but Janice asking, what's the difference between amber and red? If if green means go, and amber and red both mean stop. Well, amber, amber, red, red means that uh, you you are you you, you are already con- uh, you are already uh, con- uh, affected. Uh, you already uh, you are the uh, you are you, you are the conflict or not the, uh, you, you are the affected case. Well, but you uh, you you've been diagnosed with COVID. You can, but you 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 were at that particular moment in time, uh, you were tested positive. Okay. Hmm, okay, what? But the, the other one is, the other, the emperor one is means you have been to a place and somebody else was convicted or, or, or somebody else was, who was, was affected with there before you well, at that same time as you. So you have a high risk of being affected, but you are not really affected. Well, you are you're suspected you're affected. Okay. All right. Uh, let's now bring in uh, Ricky Ju, the uh, chairman of the Equal Opportunities Commission. Uh, great to have you on our program again. So, so, Hi, thanks, Pauline. So what's your view on the health code uh, that can only be generated for people who have smartphones and uses the Leave Home Safe app? Well, I think both measures, i.e. the mandatory use of uh, Leave Home Safe or the introduction of the uh, Hong Kong health code, are pandemic-related uh, preventive measures. I mean, they bring back Hong Kong to to life, to the to the uh, normal uh, status. So, uh, if we talk about um, law, then both measures would be exempted uh, from uh, from the anti-discrimination laws, even if it might uh, create certain effect uh, amounting to a difference in treatment. Uh, but I would prefer to deal with the problem in a more practical terms, in that we are, we are facing difficulties indeed after hearing voices from the um, uh, minority groups like uh, visually impaired persons, the elderly or uh, low, income, low income groups, that they do have some practical difficulties in, in, in using uh, both measures. I know. But I think the key is for the government to explained in details uh, how they should do to comply with the new system uh, or introducing uh, supplementary measures like uh, what the government has announced yesterday uh, to assist them or facilitate them to use the, the new measure. And as earlier, long as this can be achieved, then I think the problem can be resolved. Mr. G, earlier um, you, call, you, you did call for more measures to facilitate the use of uh, the Leave Home Safe app for the visually impaired, uh, disabled and the elderly. And now the government has announced uh, the introduction of Braille text at yeah. uh, different establishments to help the visually impaired to use the app more easily. And uh, officials have called on telecom companies and charities to give free smartphones to the needy so uh, they can download Leave Home Safe app and access the new health code. Do you think that's enough? Well, I think uh, for these are uh, new measures. Whether it is uh, sufficient 
oddly enough, would have to depend on the effect and the reaction of the people uh, who are in need. So after the government uh, uh, actually implement all these measures, and I would suggest the government to continue monitoring the reaction and the feedback and the effect of all these measures, and then they will know uh, whether or not uh, they are they are sufficient, uh, whether or not uh, additional measures need to be introduced. I think we have to so-called uh, play by the years and see what these measures uh, come up with, uh, what result. Yeah, I remember when you started, Vicky, too, you, you were, yeah. had a lot of concern about discrimination against the elderly, uh, in this case, many of whom don't use smartphones. Uh, Singapore has introduced a dedicated device that people can go and pick up at a government-provided uh, drop-off point for those that do not have smartphones. Uh, you know, do you, have you been pushing the government to provide some kind of a similar solution for the elderly in Hong Kong who might not have smartphones? Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, for the question. Yeah, um, the, the device developed by uh, Singapore um, was not specifically mentioned uh, in, our, in our submission to the government uh, uh, lately. But, of course, in our, uh, in our recommendation, we mentioned about uh, government considering whether it is feasible to use device that people can easily carry on the body. Uh, so I think uh, the device from... Uh, developing in Singapore can certainly be a good reference for the government to consider. But then, of course, I understand that um, technological factor would come in when considering uh, whether which, advice, uh, which device should be used. And I would, I would uh, leave this matter to our technical experts like the ITB. Uh, and uh, these... Um, oh, Professor Wong? Okay, Professor Wong. Eliminated. So communication, 
and people spy in would be very important. And yesterday we heard the government has been doing so by uh, they would in, they would uh, uh, send out uh, outreaching teams to the to the districts uh, to explain to people. So I think human touch is is equally important than the device themselves. But the buy but the, the buy in thing. Uh, well, obviously, I, I completely agree. I mean, uh, when we talk about technology diffusion, we always talk about buy in. Uh, when we said the buy-in thing, it would be easier just to tell them one device, to explain to them how to use one device than two. So if you were to introduce a dongle, for example, then you will have to go down and explain to them, oh, in this situation, you should use your phone, and in the other situation, you should use your, use your dongle. It will be, uh, hard, it will be much harder for the, uh, you know, for the promotion part of it. Yeah, but the dongle is just for people that don't have phones. Yeah, for the elderly, particularly. We're talking about the underprivileged. We're talking about the yeah, elderly. as well. Uh, as well, yeah. And uh, these latest uh, anti-pandemic measures, uh, they, they, don't, they don't just affect the elderly or the disabled. It also affects um, those who are separated from their family across the border. Uh, and um, to, to find out more, let's uh, now bring in Sheila Shan from the uh, Society for Community Organization. Uh, good morning, uh, Missy. Hey, good morning. Thanks for yeah. joining us on the program. Can you give us an idea how many people or, or how many families may be separated from their, um, their relatives or, or family on the mainland right now? I don't know. I think maybe um, because in the past we have uh, around 100,000 of uh, uh, people. They are always uh, going out uh, um, to uh, China and Hong Kong to work or other anything. So there are many uh, actually they uh, 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 cannot go now because of the cost of border. Yeah. And do most of them have access to smartphones? Pardon? Do most of them have access to smartphones? Um, no. Uh, I think not, not all of them. And um, actually, in the government, the government has they have a survey on uh, Hong Kong people. How many of them they have the smartphone or not, or even don't have a, a, a phone? Um, there is around uh, five hundred um, uh, thirteen of thousand people. They don't have a smartphone or don't even have a phone in Hong Kong. Uh, and the government is uh, calling on charities and telecom companies to give out free phones to those in need. Do you think that's enough? Uh, yeah, if, if they have the, uh, uh, have the phone for them and have their uh, data or the card for them, that would be uh, uh, much uh, helpful. Um, but I think for some people, people for, example, for some of the elderly, uh, there should be uh, some classes to teach them how to use it. Uh, because we find uh, elderly actually, they, they are not only the uh, uh, money problem, but also they don't know how to uh, 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 use it. Yeah, that's a problem. I mean, did, does nobody kind of pause when you say, yeah, sure, telecoms companies give out 500,000 phones. <laughs> that's a lot of, That's a lot to ask of private companies, you know what I mean? Pardon? It's it's a lot to ask of private companies. You know, we don't go to the grocery stores and say, "Hey, by the way, we just want you to no, feed but, we but just want to feed another five hundred thousand people." I mean, that's a big ask. Yeah, it's not the case. There's only these people who would got to get the phone. You still have to apply for it. I mean, I mean, it's not just that I, I, I you know, I, I give it out really. You have you still have to go through for some. Why do they have to work with together with these social workers? Because those are the people who will be the gatekeeper. And only the needy people will get. Only the needy people will get uh, the free phone. So who's going to pay for the who's going to pay for the administration? 
That's a well, lot. Of, that's a lot of people is, to hire to sort through all that and, and but reveal this, this application. This work. Um, in fact, in wow. fact, in fact, it's, it's a it's a tripartite thing. As, as, as you just mentioned, uh, the, the, tele- or the the telephone company, uh, the social worker, as well as the government. The government has to pay something, and that's why that's why some people, if they don't appreciate that, then then I don't know. I mean, this, this, we should appreciate that. I mean, the, the government's really willing to put out some money. And in fact, there's also uh, ridiculous comments about, uh, you know, uh, we give out the phones. What happens if this guy will get the phone, will, will, will turn around and sell the phone? People see something like that. I think that, that is nonsense. I mean, that is, I mean it's unrealistic. I mean, even, I mean what, what, what we are trying to do in here in the government, I think, is doing the right thing. We're, we're caring about, we're solving the problem of uh, inclusion, inclusion. I mean, we want everyone to be able to use the thing and therefore we the government is actually thinking of different means, even including uh, offering free phones. So this is the right thing to do. Yeah, well, I mean, if the government's going to make a policy, then I guess they have to pay for it. So, yeah, which makes sure. sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have an email here. It says uh, it's from uh, Krishnan. It says, uh, "Dear Backchat, uh, privacy issues uh, raised related to the government app is purely due to lack of trust." These issues are being raised by people who willingly let online platforms of Google, Amazon, Spotify, Microsoft, HKTV Mall collect uh, personal data promising the user a better experience. Time for the government spin doctors to get to work. That email from Krishnan. Any comments on that? Well, he's right. Actually, when you think about it, you're using a phone. The phone itself, essentially, in terms of privacy. I mean, your operator knows where you are. Using 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 your octopus is the same. So well, we accept that because we we, we get value out of this this whole operation. And then uh, and it's, it's only uh, and, but when the government is doing something, it's all about you know you know you know anti-government sentiments that makes you uh, you know not accepting uh, this very well well thought out plan. But because you just do not trust the government, that's what it is. Yeah, Tsilai Shan, do you see that kind of resistance in your constituency? Uh, I think I think the government they should uh, uh, um, stay clear to the public. Um, the information only used for the uh, anti-COVID nineteen the measures, so uh, people they will be feel more uh, secured. Yeah, but of course, for the grassroots people, they will concern about more is um, the uh, whether they can cross border and then they can. Uh, because some but, of them, they, they, they separate with their family for, for a long time, yeah. Well, well firstly, I think there's the data privacy uh, law or data privacy ordinance, uh, which actually protects the usage of how data should be, can be used. So the legal part of it is handled. But I also want to mention about uh, the, the, the theory of reluctance to change. Uh, every time we want to make a change, people are reluctant and think of all the excuses. Think about that. Think about leave home easy when we first introduced the thing a year ago. People were reluctant to actually do it. But now they find that it is okay. It's convenient. So they keep on doing it. Even now, we are, we are actually offering something that we offer a year ago. We said that a year ago, we said that uh, we should, well, people think that we should not put any data up into a central server for processing. That's what we are doing now. But people start to accept it now because they know that it's okay, it's fine, nothing, nothing harmful. So I think, you know, as a matter of time, you know, I'll, I'll pick up, <laughs> don't worry. Well, is it because it was convenient or is it because there was more of a carrot and stick effect in place? I mean, as the government mandates 
you have to use the app for more places to go. People kind of, you know, they, they don't like it, but they say, well, if I want to go to a restaurant, I guess I, <laughs> I, I got to have the app finally. Well, this is a year ago, I mean, the 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 the, the, the rejection. Uh, the people are, are more are more. Uh, what is the word? Are more uh, reluctant. Reject this idea. Yeah. They would actually sound out loudly, but uh, after a year, once they appreciate the convenience, uh, then they are quite quite happy to accept it. So, Silai Sand, is it, uh, you know, what, what, do you th- what do you see as kind of the biggest issues that are going to be moving, moving forward on this? I mean, is, is your constituency, would you say people in the lower income stratas are also f- have higher rates of high, high rates of vaccination as well? Because that's been another area of resistance. I mean, Hong Kong is maxed out at 70 percent vaccination. and It doesn't look like we're going to get much farther on that front. Are, are you still seeing a lot of resistance to that and the apps and other measures? Uh, yeah, I think for the grassroots it's because um, they are not um, quite many of them. They don't have the smartphone and they are not used to, to use the app. Uh, or even their smartphone, they have the smartphone and then they cannot uh, to download so many because the memory is not enough. And not mention those they don't have and they don't know how to use it. So it's a quite a painful process for them. Uh, not only the, the the financial problems but also the the skill, the knowledge to, to use it. All right, Missy. Right, I'm afraid we have to take a short break for the news. And uh, thank you very much again for joining us on Backchat this morning. That's uh, Shilai Shan from the Society for Community Organization. Also, many thanks to Ricky Ju, the chairman of the Equal Opportunities Commission. And Professor Wong, you'll be staying with us for a bit longer so we can discuss the new health code after the news, uh, when we'll also be joined by Professor Ivan Hong from the University of Hong Kong. And now the weather forecast, fine and very dry during the day with a top temperature of around 21 degrees. Right now it's 16 degrees, relative humidity is 38%. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Andrew Work and me, Janice Wong. Let's go straight back to our discussion on the health code. If you have any questions or comments on today's topics, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 233-88266. And our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Still here with us is Professor Wong Kong-Fai, the Director of the Centre for Innovation and Technology at the Chinese University. And we're also joined now by Professor Ivan Hung, Chief of the Infectious Diseases Division at the University of Hong Kong and a member of a government panel on COVID-19. Welcome to Backchat. Um, let's see, uh, Professor Wong, maybe uh, we can uh, um, go back to you first. Um, right before the news, you're talking, we did talk about uh, maybe um, alternatives to uh, the health code. Um, do you think it is possible to have an alternative? Uh, well, technically it's feasible, but uh, uh, operationally, I think it's, in, it's impractical. Uh, I mentioned about the uh, uh, maintaining a dual systems. Uh, would not be easy. It just make it more complicated, especially uh, for the underprivileged. So uh, uh, I think uh, again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a practical problem. It's a practical issue. Technically, it's doable, but practically, it is not practical. It's impractical. Hey, Professor Hung, you know, we're talking about this because of the, uh, the kind of the announcement of the implicate of the uh, implementation of a new. 
app that is going to enable people to finally travel yeah, quarantine-free yeah. in and out of China. Uh, given from what you've seen in terms of disease transmission across borders and other places and their measures, you know, what, what's your take on how effective this is going to be in actually... Well, but there's a misunderstanding. Of the, 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 the Whatever record that you have uh, would not be transferred, would not be transferred. What happened is that the, the green light is only like a visa. You have a green light, then you can go in. Yeah, I mean, but the question is, the question is, how effective do you think this is going to be in helping to stop the spread of disease? I mean, from the Hong Kong side, we haven't had any local transmissions for months and months and months. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, is it really all that necessary? Of course, it's necessary. I mean, it's not just that you think that you are clean. You have to, you have to let people know that. Well, I'm clean because I have been through uh, scrutiny, and the scrutinization was done by uh, the government. So, just like, just like applying for a visa when you go abroad. I mean, I mean, why don't I just walk in? I mean, I said that I'm a very healthy person. I'm, I'm, I'm free of crying. I walk in. But you still need someone to, to check it out for you. Who, who, or the other side would only trust you, the government. So the government is doing the checking for you. Mm. Okay. Professor Hung? Sorry? Sorry, is Professor Hung on the line? Hello? Hi, yes. Professor Hung. There you are. And what is your take on, on the effectiveness as, as, as a means of controlling cross-border transmissions? Well, I think it's a, one of the way of, of course, uh, making sure that when you travel uh, across the border that you are healthy. And I think it's one of the way of tracking. Uh, similarly, we have been you know, proposing to the government that if we want to open up, uh, we're setting a deadline in, the, in March that we actually need a local passport as well for people to go to public places like restaurants and cinemas that they will again need to be vaccinated with two vaccinations. Uh, I think it's a very similar thing. And when they come in, of course, they need a tracer as well that, so that, you know, we will, we will know that when they become positive, then they can be, you know, identified very quickly and put into, uh, you know, they could be hospitalized. So I think it's the same theory that applied to, to this uh, so-called health code that would be need to, uh, to when you travel across the border. Okay, and is there going to be a similar reciprocal arrangement? Are they going to use their local app that they're using in whatever part of China they're in now that, that has a similar red, amber, green before they're allowed to cross into Hong Kong? Yes, I, I believe so. I believe that it will be reciprocal, you know, if, if, if it's necessary so that, you, you know, both could be matched. Uh, so that, again, that will be uh, important for both sides, you know, so that, again, we could identify... Uh, any kind of positive cases uh, as quickly as possible. Right. But, but I, I want to comment on this one. Uh, in fact, in, in the mainland, uh, they have health code and uh, which are managed by the provincial governments. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I'm in Guangdong, if I have to go to Hunan, I will have to switch code. But the switching of code, once you switch to the other side, they are still doing automatic tracking. All China is doing automatic tracking. Yeah. But if, if it were to happen that the mainland health code uh, was going to be linked to the Hong Kong health code, that would not happen because we are not doing tracking. We do not do tracking. So what effectively it would be if the China uh, 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 color or the China health code, when they were to c- come in, it was just like it would be just like a passport. I mean, I will see if they get uh, a green light. If it were green, I'll let him in. If not, then you block, and then they can't come in. Right. That would, that, that's what it would be. 
And then once you cross over, then do, do you have to download another app? You talk about switching codes for each province to province. Do you download, is it a different app for every province or is it a different? They are, they are uh, the, they, they, yeah, well, they are the two different systems. I think they are just changed. They're using the same app, but they're doing, they're just to, 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 uh, to, cut, uh, to, to health code systems. Well, but, but, but the health code system managed by uh, two governments. Hmm. Professor Hong, Professor Hong, now with the announcement made on the health code uh, yesterday, do you think Hong Kong is uh, on track to reopen its border with the mainland? Well, yes, I believe so. I think all these work are preparing for the opening of the border. Uh, but I think uh, at the initial stage, it will probably be done in a so-called a limited scale, uh, you know, only to the Guangdong province. And then, of course, uh, if, you know, uh, there are no cases or in, in you know, in, in Hong Kong, then, of course, that could be extended to you know, the entire country. But, but is it the uh, right time? The important is to know that, of course, that uh, whether that will be done before the Chinese New Year, uh, we do not know because, uh, you know, we, we have to be very cautious uh, of, with the emergence of the Omicron, which probably will be much more transmissible than the Delta variant. How big of a concern is Omicron? Well, I think in general, with there's still a lot to learn about Omicron because it's just, uh, it, we are, uh, actually we're just able to isolate the virus and culture the virus. So we are already doing a lot of studies on this uh, new variant, uh, testing it against the, you know, the serum of uh, uh, our, you know, subjects who have been vaccinated and see, you know, the, whether the current vaccine will work against the Omicron. Uh, and of course, we have to learn about how uh, contagious is it, you know, the, the R0, how, how, transmissible is the virus uh, and of course how uh, lethal they are they're already saying that it's actually less severe of the omicron compared to the delta variant so it in a way to say a better news if it is less you know lethal or, or much milder disease as most people are, are so-called asymptomatic but i think what we need to know is about how severe the disease in the elderly or in those who are immunocompromised or those with chronic illnesses uh, and that we probably will know when as the, there's a, a major outbreak in Europe and Africa. So we'll learn about this uh, over the next few weeks. All right. Uh, Professor Hong, I have two emails here. This one is from John. He said, forget about the app. The whole world needs to be vaccinated. Germany and other countries have announced compulsory vaccination to go to restaurants, etc. Everyone here and overseas needs to be vaccinated. The next variant might be mild or very deadly. The government is too slow. The vaccination bus only started this month, December 2021. Give the elderly 1 kg rice, a free flu jab, a voucher, whatever incentive to get the elderly vaccinated. And that email is from John. And I have another one. This one is from Alonso. He says, as you reported in your news headlines today, Germany, the EU's largest democracy, will A, bar unvaccinated individuals from entering restaurants and malls, and B, implement a vaccine mandate from next February. Hong Kong should enact similar legislation. Otherwise, our current 17% vax rate, I'm sure he doesn't mean 17%. Um, oh, he means 17% vaccination rate among the over 80 age group mm. will struggle to improve. And that was uh, from Alonso. So, um, Professor Hong, what do you think? Do we need something similar? I, I actually agree with them. I think it's, um, we, we need to make it mandate. Uh, and I think uh, we have been doing a lot of things, including education. We have, you know, vaccination team visiting elderly homes, but still the response is very low. So the only way out to protect them 
uh, is to, in a way, make it mandatory. If you don't get vaccinated, then you will, uh, you will not have access to restaurants or you won't have access to, uh, to cinemas or, per, or probably to, even to, a, you know, to, the, to the park. So uh, it's important that we, we need to make a mandate. Uh, otherwise, the, the majority of the people who have been vaccinated, like 70% of the population, will be suffering uh, because of those 20% or 30% have not been vaccinated. Well, a lot, so a lot, think, a lot of those uh, old people are... children vaccination rolling out very soon, hmm. uh, and together with, you know, we will, uh, all these incentives making that the vaccination will be in a way like mandatory. Hopefully we will be able to bring up the vaccination rate, especially among the elderly within the next uh, two or three months. I mean, uh, that probably we're aiming at sometimes, uh, you know, after uh, early March, so-called. Sure, but I mean, a lot of these old people, their their logic is, I don't travel, but nobody nobody's taking me on trips around the world. Uh, I don't even cross the border into China. I'm more of afraid of the vaccine than I am of the virus. Um, should, are we should we be kicking those people out of old folks' homes if they don't get the vaccine? No, I think the the the, the, the message is that we can't be locked up all the time. So. You know, with the border opening up, especially not just to China, but internationally, the virus will come in. Uh, and if the virus come in, they will be at risk and they will be they will be developing severe disease and they could end up in hospitals and they some of them would die. I think that is the message that we should deliver to them. I mean, uh, not not because right now is the very unusual situation that we are locked up. So there are no case, but that we could not sustain that for a long period of time. Yeah. I, I did have a question that came up in a couple of conversations. Um, is the flu still killing people in Hong Kong? Is it? Is it? Because I know during SARS, the incidence of flu dropped dramatically because, you know, everybody was all masked up and everything. Uh, it's my understanding the flu still killed more people in Hong Kong than other places. But uh, yes. how about uh, this flu season? In fact, uh, we, we worry about flu as well. The, the good thing about in Hong Kong is that we have a very good compliance of wearing masks and also... You know, uh, but but the importance is to get the flu vaccination rate up as well, uh, because of the very low antibody level in the community, mm-hmm. uh, because there's simply no flu over the next last two years because of everybody wearing masks. But if you look at the data in in US by the US CDC, already there's a rise, a warning sign of rising of the flu of X3 over the last month in November, uh, and the same in uh, in China as well. There's a rising of uh, incidence in flu B. So I think it's very important to get people vaccinated for flu vaccination, especially the elderly, those chronic illnesses, and also be very complied to uh, wearing masks. And that will hopefully be able to stop the flu outbreak as well. Okay. And uh, I have uh, one, another email here. This one is uh, from Sim. He says, uh, oh, from Simon, he says, uh, all this uh, talk of health apps and people who don't have phones is hilarious. I can't help feel this is like moving deck chairs around on the Titanic. The government seems to like seeing us go around in circles over this stuff. That way they don't have to ever reopen Hong Kong. Professor Wong? Yes. yes. Did you hear that? What's, what, what's your, what do you think? Oh, uh, what do I think? I mean, I mean, uh, I, 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 I would say that I would do uh, whatever measure uh, to actually uh, embrace all the inclusion part, uh, including just what, what, what the government is offering now, free phones. I think this is uh, the, the, the right thing to do. I mean, we have to have a start. We have to kick it up. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have been waiting for the gate to open for, for for a long time. It's not just not me and you. I mean, everyone. There are people doing business. There are people. Uh, families separated, and then I think we need to open it as a 
much good as soon as possible. All right. And going back to you, uh, Professor Hong, um, looking at the Omicron cases in Hong Kong so far, your, your colleague, uh, Professor Yun Kwok Yong, he believes that Omicron may be more transmissive than uh, Delta, and, and you seem to think so too. Um, why is that? Well, I think it's, um, it's, it's the, we, we are witnessing basically the Omicron spread over the world. So, uh, with, if, if you, you know, if we able to identify within a few days, and already they are, the Omicron variants is all over Africa and Europe and, and, and globally, in fact. So, we are seeing that it's actually very, transmiss- very transmissible. Uh, and also, we are seeing that, of course, people who have been previously infected, they have recovered, and now they have acquired the Omicron as well. So, we believe that it is probably more transmissible than the Delta variant. Of course, we will know that in over the next few weeks, because then if that becomes the predominant strain, then of course the majority of the cases will be Omicron, uh, replacing Delta as the predominant variant. Yeah, but, uh, but again, we have yet to see, you know, we will know in the next few weeks. Yeah, but, but my understanding is at this point, the only place that Omicron is out competing Delta is in South Africa. And when you say Omicron's all over the world, it's like one case in Germany. America just found one case. I mean, their, their first one. I mean, it's just a handful in, in, in some of these countries, right? It's, we don't, my understanding is that the expectation of increased transmissibility is based on an analysis of the spike protein and the fact that it might have ways of getting around the body's natural defenses. Not that it is actually, as of yet, out-competing other variants of COVID. Is that fair? Yes, I think, well, we, we, as I said, we, we need to, we will find out in the next few weeks because yeah. people, uh, most of the most governments are now just uh, sequencing the virus. So they, they are not expecting that. So they are more alert and now they are sequencing the virus. So uh, they will know, of course, when they retrospect, they look back at the previous, uh, you know, maybe over the next, last few weeks or so. Then they look at the specimen, then, of course, they will be able to identify, you know, uh, whether they are Omicron or whether they are Delta. And of course, we will see how how you know how transmissible this virus will be over the next few weeks. Yeah, because I think the Dutch have said that they've already identified cases that they hadn't previously diagnosed as Omicron. They've gone back and found out that they were Omicron, uh, and that they were present in the population before the supposed first case from Africa came, suggesting that it was there before anybody from South Africa showed up with it. And. Uh, yeah. Professor Hung, just finally, uh, what advice do you have for people who plan to go away for Christmas? I mean, should they do so? Well, I think the important thing for people going away for Christmas is that they, uh, if they're going to high-risk countries, they should get the booster shot, uh, possible, if possible. Uh, and, of course, they should be compliant to wearing masks, especially in public places and in indoors. So that will be the most important thing to prevent both COVID uh, and also as gain influenza. All right, we'll have to leave it there for now. And uh, hopefully there won't be another outbreak and our border with the mainland can be open as planned. Uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Ivan Hong, Chief uh, of the uh, Infectious Diseases Division at the University of Hong Kong, and Professor Wong Kamfei, the Director of the Centre for Innovation and Technology at the Chinese University. It's now 20 minutes past nine, and it's time to turn to our final topic today. And that's love scams, which according to police figures on the rise amid the 
pandemic. And just on Wednesday, 20 people were arrested on suspicion of money laundering over alleged online dating scams involving a total of 15 million Hong Kong dollars. The operation was jointly carried out with Interpol and police in Malaysia, where another seven people were arrested. So just how common are love scams these days? To comment, we're joined on the line now by Valentina Tudos, a dating and relationship coach. Welcome to Backchat. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So are you surprised that love scams are on the rise during the pandemic? Definitely not. This is paradise for scammers. All right, and what what makes it so what makes it so easy or so wonderful for them? Well, the fact that uh, they have a really good excuse for never being able to meet in person. One of the hallmarks of uh, dating scams is unavailability, the inability of the scammer to um, be present with the person who to their victim, so to speak. So they can claim that obviously they're in quarantine, they cannot travel, that they're stuck in a particular location. So they do everything that they are very well trained to <laughs> to uh, create this connection with the person, um, love bombing and all sorts of different uh, psychological techniques and tools to get this connection and intimacy, and then they never actually have to deliver. So the pandemic has offered a wonderful opportunity for love scams. Mm, you, you dropped, a, I think, maybe a technical term in the biz there. What is love bombing? Oh, love bombing is, um, is the practice of um, literally overwhelming the victim with uh, attention, with affection. So when someone uh, says, I love you in the first day or second day where they start talking about commitment, they start talking about um, a life together, considering that the vast majority of the victims tend to be quite emotionally uh, weak or um, vulnerable, let's say, due to, you know, divorce or different um, personal situations. When someone pays so much attention to a person who's never received attention, it's so overwhelming and it immediately uh, gets them hooked, so to speak. Mm. And, and, but what is it, what is kind of the, the psychology at play there? Because, you know, uh, when men tend, tend to get taken by things, somebody has to show up. Do you know what I mean? It's, it seems like these these online and over-the-phone things seem to be predominantly women. Or is that, is that a misperception that I've got? Or is that or do the statistics bear that out? And if, if it is, like, what is it about the psychology that's at play there? Well, it really is a matter of uh, finding the right victim. So uh, when people put on their online dating profile, for example, uh, words like... Um, new on this app, just divorced, been through a lot. It's almost like you're inviting these scammers to to come and sort of pounce on you because obviously they're targeting people who are emotionally unstable or who are emotionally vulnerable because they've never received the love. They have gone through a lot of difficult situations. So the psychology is that um, these days, even though you're not present, the world is essentially a village. So you can have connections with people all over the world. But these things have actually gone on for much longer than, um, you know, the last uh, two years. Obviously, dating scams have been an issue for a very long time, and it's actually an industry. Um, it actually does happen to men and to women. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, a lot of uh, men, if you go on dating apps, uh, would say, I'm not interested in crypto, I'm not interested in investments, I'm not interested in buying you gifts, and this is just a sign that clearly 
these sort of situations occur quite often. So these men have had the experience of being asked to invest in businesses and so on. For female um, victims, they usually get asked uh, for contribution to a business investment to say, oh, I want to come and travel and see you, but I don't have the cash right now, even though the scammers pretend to be successful businessmen or investors and so on. I mean, of course, if you, it's very easy to see through these scams if you're so inclined, but the vast majority of victims are um, choosing to ignore all the red flags and uh, to just enjoy the attention and the so-called affection that they're receiving. Mm. Have you had any clients who have been victims of love scams before? Yes, several. Can you give some examples of, uh, of what, what happened? Um, well, a client, for example, who was uh, recently divorced, she has been through a quite a toxic, uh, difficult relationship before the divorce happened, um, did get uh, scammed for, I can't remember exactly the amount of money, but I think maybe at least 100,000 Hong Kong dollars. Um, and it was a while ago, I have to say, before the pandemic, this particular case that I'm referring to. Um, and yeah, it was someone pretending to want to come to Hong Kong and visit, but uh, for some reason being in some cash flow difficulties. And, you know, it's a very, very classic story. Um, as a result of that, she became hyper vigilant and um, created all these belief systems where every single person that she would meet would be um, suspicious, let's say. So even something as simple as a good morning message would trigger her hypervigilance because obviously when once she's been burned, it was very difficult for her to trust other people. Um, other clients, I mean, it, it's very, very similar story. It's actually, um, you can see if you're... Um, I mean, I've had personal experiences with scammers and almost the ones that are professional literally have a script. And if you try to disturb the script or say something that will kind of throw them off, they actually ignore that and they just continue with their script as if you never said anything. So that's quite funny, a funny way to test what's going on. Yeah, kind of like the Cantonese telemarketers that... Uh call us 10 times a day. Um, uh, you know, I've read stories about whole villages in places like Nigeria where everybody in the village is in on it. They support the guys that are making the calls. They have people that help them keep track of the 20 or 30 different relationships that they're, they're managing to try to get money out of people at the same time. And then whenever they have a big score, they throw like a big village party. Uh, you know, the kind of the complaint previously was that, you know, among the Hong Kong police was like, listen, these people are like on the other side of the world. There's not much we can do about it. But has that changed? You know, we're hearing about this big Interpol coordinated raid uh, to catch people across borders. Is, is, this a, is this a new movement in law enforcement to, to kind of stop throwing their hands up and say, no, actually, we can do something about this? Well, I cannot answer for the police. I'm not connected to the Interpol. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, um, so you say. <laughs> Well, I'm not a liberty to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, look, the, the reality is that indeed, the, I would say uh, 50% of the dating scams are actually for money. But I think it's important to also mention that a lot of these catfishing, you know, this is the technical term mm. for, or, you know, at least the colloquial term for, uh, for dating scams, is not always about the money. Yes. Obviously, it is a criminal activity when it involves transfer of money, you know, sending money to people that you've never met on the Internet is never a good idea for obvious reasons. 
Um, but actually, most of, I mean, a lot of the time, uh, these uh, catfish don't always fish for money. They sometimes just want attention. They want to explore sexual fantasies. They simply want to feel that someone cares about them. And I've had, again, personal experiences with people who ultimately, when they got caught, confessed that they've never had a relationship, that they're actually very sad and very angry, and they wanted to try being someone else. And of course, the internet offers this anonymity and this uh, possibility to change your identity and pretend to be your ideal self, even if you're far away from that ideal self in real life. All right, uh, Valentina, just finally, uh, with the pandemic, many people now rely on uh, online dating apps. What should people watch out for? Well, there are a few very basic um, signs that someone is not um, who they say they are. I mean, first of all, when it's too good to be true, it's usually because it is. So um, there are a couple of things that the professional scammers do. So first of all, their pictures look like they're all models. So I'm not saying that there are not people who are very good looking and they're real, but you can see sometimes they're even putting pictures with Google picture watermark on their on their uh, profiles, which is a bit silly. These are not the professional ones. Uh, secondly, they, there's a distance between where you are or they don't put age and location. So sometimes on dating apps, you can have a global passport and you can be thousands of miles away. So if there's a huge distance between you and that person and it's really unlikely that you would match with them normally, then there's always uh, room for suspicion. Um, secondly, they have some favorite professions that they um, use. So they're either doctors, uh, military. There's a lot of people who claim to be in the military, and they start the conversation by saying that I'm on an air base in Egypt, in Syria, in Iraq. So obviously places where they cannot leave. Um, often they say, oh, I, can you write a letter to say that you are my fiancé to my commanding officer so I can come and visit you? So all these kind of like weirdness. Um, the other, there are two other identities that they're using, um, engineers on oil rigs. Oh, yeah. Or oil rig workers, again, because it's far. They can claim that they cannot do uh, video calls and so on. And this is what tends to happen. They, they say my camera is broken. Obviously, they do not want to reveal their true identity because in general, they do not look like the picture that they put. But also mistakes in grammar, like when you're texting and you don't do video calls. If someone says they're American, but their English is really poor, or they make a really silly um, grammar mistakes, that's usually a sign that something is untrue. All right, Valentina. Had- or, uh, all right, Valentina, this is all very interesting, but uh, we're running out of time here and we have to leave it uh, here for now. Thank you very much uh, for joining us this morning. That's uh, Valentina Tudos, a dating and relationship coach. Uh, also, many thanks to all of you who commented through email. And uh, thank you to my co-host, Andrew Work, and, uh, of course, Yuki, our producer. That's it for us this week. We'll be back at 8.30 on Monday. Now, here's the weather. Fine and very dry during the day. The top temperature will be around 21 degrees. Winds moderate northerlies fresh offshore at first. The red fire danger warning is now in force. Right now it's 17 degrees, relative humidity 39%. The government will introduce enhancements to the electoral arrangements for the coming elections. There will be special queues for electors who are aged 70 or above, pregnant or in need. Electronic poll registers will be used to enhance efficiency in issuing ballot papers. 
There will also be measures to enhance inspection of the register of electors and prevent acts of manipulating or undermining elections. Improve electoral system. Ensure patriots administering Hong Kong. It's now 9.32. The news with Andrew Shirovsky. Transport expert Hung Wing Tat says it's totally un- unacceptable to have loose parts from an advertising panel affect the safety of a train. He said it was very lucky that no one was injured last night when a loose hoarding caused the train's doors to fall off during the peak rush hour at Causeway Bay Station. An academic says the government needs to cultivate public trust in order for the new health code to work effectively. Chris Hartley, an assistant professor of public management and administration at the Education University, was commenting after officials unveiled the health code system to be used for quarantine-free travel to the mainland. And the German government has announced that COVID vaccinations could become compulsory next year. The outgoing Chancellor Angela Merkel said she was in favor of the measure, which MPs will vote on in February. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well. Oh, so shy, quiet, and retiring Doggy Council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, and not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decide for what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. A very good morning to you and welcome to the all-important Friday here on Morning Brew. I'm Phil Whelan and it is the day of the week when we treat you to all the best in sports and film. Our team of crack experts is in the wings warming up as I speak. Well, I'll tell you what, Danny Hicks is first up after 11 with this week's edition of Sports and All. And after 12, we're off to the movies with our critic James Marsh. Marsh and Danny are going to both be on Facebook Live as usual and they'd both love you to join them with your comments and your questions right there. So let us go with Santana, Rob Thomas and the American authors. It's Radio 3. You got me losing my head. I never know what I said. You got me spinning around and around. I never know if I'm right, but I've been feeling tonight that we can 